Again? Perfect. Okay, so we're going to pick it up from the bottom of Yudches Amid Beis. The last thing we, we mentioned was our Mishnah mentioned a concept of a Pesha Asar Pesha Hitter, which again means that the testimony, you someone gives a testimony that's partially incriminating, partially not incriminating, and we take the whole thing together. So the example the Mishnah gave was witnesses come forward and say that's our handwriting so they're confirming that the signatures are theirs that's the positive but in that same sentence they said but we were uh coerced we were uh we were children at the time so the mishnah said we believe them because in the same sentence that they're incriminating themselves they're also vindicating themselves as well so we take the whole thing together rev Meir disagreed the Bryce wrote down that Rameir did not believe that. Rameir said that if someone comes forward and says, that's my handwriting, meaning I signed that document, but I was a child, we don't believe the child part, meaning we take the, the, the good part of the testimony, but we don't believe that he was a child at the time, and we don't believe that he was posledus, and we don't believe that he was coerced. So the last thing we did was we were trying to figure out why. Why, why would that be? If you're going to take what they say, why would you not think that they're saying the truth the whole time? Why would you only take the, the part that they signed it? Why would you not take the other part? So that was the Gemara said. So the Gemara asked that question. El Rav Meir, two lines at the bottom, on Yud Chesem Beis. Bishlam, so my time, so what's the reason? So the Gemara is basically going to say that Rav Meir feels it's unlikely that they were children at the time, and it's unlikely that they were puzzled this, and it's going to go through each one to show that we have um, a chazaka, we have a, not a tradition, we have a, a halachic, uh, we're allowed to halachically believe, I think that's how they translate chazaka, that people will not sign a document if they're puzzled this, and not only will people not sign a document if they're puzzled this, the borrower and lender will make sure they're not pusillatus. The lender specifically will make sure that he's not pusillatus because the lender knows that if he's pusillatus, he's not going to get his money back. So, therefore, if someone comes and says, hey, I, I signed this, but I was pusillatus, we don't assume that they're telling the truth by the pusillatus part, just because there's no way a lender would... A lender would look into who the Edom are. So the Gemara says, Bishloma... I understand why if they say they're Pasoledus, we don't believe them. Why? We say, Before the lender will have them sign, he will look into them and make sure that they're kosher. If they say they're Pasol, we don't believe them. Because we assume that most people that sign a document, um, the, the lender will make sure that they're kosher. So we just take the part that they say that they signed it, but the part that they say that they that they were puzzled, it's not like, oh, it's a possibility. It's not even a possibility. The likelihood is so remote that we assume that they're not telling the truth. Okay? That's why he feels that we don't take the part of the document that says that they were puzzled. What if they say that they were children? Same thing. Ketanim Nami. Ketanim Nami. And again, you have to realize that, that because the lender actually acted by giving them money, that's like sort of like proof that they were kosher. Because again, no, no lender would let uh, non-kosher Adam sign a document. Ketanim, if they claim they were children also, Kiddurish Lakish, Domerish Lakish, this is the beginning of Yutasam and Aleph, Chazaka Eina Adam Chaisman Alashtar Alam Kenasa Begodal. 
Again, we have a chazaka that children do not sign documents. The lender and borrower will not allow someone under bar mitzvah to sign a document. Therefore, if they're signed, already we have a halachic notion that they were above bar mitzvah, and therefore the fact that they say they weren't, we don't believe them. The question is, though, the coercion one. They say that they signed the document, but they were coerced. Why don't we believe them then? That's that's a little bit strange, because... Why couldn't they be coerced to sign a document? The Why is it that we, we don't believe them if they say they were coerced? So the Gemara says, Amr of Chizda, Kesavra of Meir, Eidim she'amr lehem chis musheker v'al tahargu, yahargu v'ayichte musheker. It's a very strange Gemara, but the Gemara says that perhaps uh, Rav Meir believes that most Jews, not that this is the right thing to do, but most Jews will not sign their name falsely to a document, even if they're coerced, they'd give up their life. Meaning, most people will not sign their name to a document that is not accurate, and if they're, even under coercion. So therefore, if they say they're coerced, we don't believe them, because who would sign a document? Not that halachically they're supposed to give up their lives, of course they're not supposed to give up your life, it's not part of the big three averis. But most Jews, when faced with signing a document under duress, will not do so. So the Gemara says the obvious question to that, but why not? If halachically, uh, Jewish people are very rational people. If halachically, I'm supposed to do this to save my life, I'll do it. So the, the Gemara is like, if they say they're coerced, we don't believe them, because what type of person would sign a document under coercion? They're obviously not telling the truth. I, I don't know, I, I think I would, I think most people would. If you told me the chas v'shalom, someone said, put a gun to your head and said, sign this alone document or I'll kill you, I'll sign the document, well, well, why not? If that's what the halachic dictates, then why wouldn't I do it? So the Gemara says, Amr le Rava, hashta, Rava says, I don't hashta now, if they were to ask a rabbi, what, could, should I sign the document under duress? What would the rabbi say? I'm going to say, well, I think they would say, of course, sign and save your life. As the Brisa said, the only three Averis that you're supposed to give up your life for is Avedizara, Gilarash, Vichazdamim. So, so if I if I'm if I ask a rabbi, should I sign this document under duress, what would he say? He would say, sign. So now you're gonna tell me that most people would not do so. Well, why not? And now, if they would ask a rabbi to do it, he would say sign. But now that they said they did it, we're like, no way you signed on the duress. Why not? If that's what the halacha dictates, that's what the halacha dictates. So why don't we believe them? So the Gemara says, you're right. So the Gemara says, you know what the case is? Why is it? That uh, this, is, this is an interesting thing. What, what's the pshat of Pesha Asar Pesha Hitter, right? The Rabbanon feel that if someone comes forward and says, Hey, this signature is mine, but I was under duress, we believe them. Why? Because there's two components to what they're testifying, right? Number one, they're testifying that it's their, it's their signature, number two, they're testifying it was under duress. Both of those, now the first part of the edus is necessary. As I mentioned before we did yesterday's Mishnah, when you have a loan document and you say, hey, it says in the document, uh, I owe you $100, 
the first thing the Bezdin will do is they'll have to validate that the document is accurate. The way to do that is to make sure the witnesses signed it correctly and were, you know, and it's, it wasn't copyrighted and it wasn't fake, you understand? So we need to authenticate, that's the word, we need to authenticate this document. So the witnesses come and say, that's my handwriting, so we need that part of the testimony. And then they throw in the coercion part, so we take it all, we, we accept all of it. But says the says Rav Meir, Rav Meir says, no, I, I don't believe the coercion part. Why? The answer is, Rav Meir is talking about an entirely different case. What if I come to you, let's go with uh, us two, right? I say, I have a document, right? It says in the document, you owe me $100. And so, I, as I said, the first thing they'll do is authenticate. But what if I present it to, to court with you, and I say, oh, he owes me $100, and you say, yeah, no, I, I signed that, yeah, that, that's a good document, but I already paid it up. So you're moda, meaning it's not that you're questioning whether the loan took place. You agree the loan took place. You're just saying you paid it up already. The halacha is, if both the lender and the borrower acknowledge it's a good document, you don't have to authenticate it. The authentication process is not necessary if both the borrower and the lender agreed that it was signed properly. Meaning, the only time you need to authenticate a document is if I have this document that says you owe me $100 and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I never borrowed money. That's a fake. If you don't believe it, then we have to authenticate it. But if you, if both the borrower and the lender say, yeah, yeah, we borrowed the money. Yeah, I know that that's the ADM. Isn't that, isn't that a given? What do you mean? If you, if two people agree that one owes the other money, why, why would you need to authenticate it? I, I don't. Well, like, no, that... I'll tell you why. So it is interesting. Um, so if you, I'll read you Rashi. Uh, Rashi, I just want to read you Rashi because there, you are making a good point, which is like it's pretty posh that that if that if both people agree that yeah, it, you don't have to authenticate it. I'll tell you why it's a chiddush. We're going to see in today's daf there are scenarios where I technically agree to the document, but not necessarily in the classic way, and still you don't have to, to validate. Meaning, you're right, the, the way I'm describing it is a pretty pushit way, but we're going to see there are categories and cases that are a little bit more complex that do come into play. I just want to read Rashi. Rashi says, That if the borrower and the lender both agree, then ain sarach lekaimai. The lender does not have to authenticate it. Be'edem achsumboi. Shein aloy v'shuv neman loy meparativ. Beloy meaning and meaning that the you don't have to get witnesses to to prove that the witnesses signed it because the borrower no longer is believed to say that he paid it. Beloy meaning b'haya pesha asa pesha hitter. Oh, so yeah, but we'll get to your point in, uh, later on in the daf. But the point is, going back over here, why is it that Rav Meir holds that we don't believe the witnesses when they say that they were under duress? The answer is we only believe them when their entire testimony, the first part is essential. So the first part, which is the authentication process, is essential. So once we accept that part, we'll also accept the second part, which is they were under duress. But if we already know that it's authentic, and now they're just saying it's under duress, the Mishnah said, we don't believe them. Over here, it's a case where the borrower and the lender both agree that it's a good document. Because they agree it's a good document, the authentication process is unnecessary. Once it's unnecessary, when the witnesses come forward and say, hey, that's our signature, but it's under duress, we don't believe them, 
because there's no Pesha Asar Pesha Hitter. You understand? Pesha Asar Pesha Hitter only works when there's two parts to the testimony. One's essential, the authentication process, and then once we take that, we'll take everything else. But over here, if it's a case where both the lender and the borrower both agree that it's a good that it's a good document, so authentication is not necessary. Once authentication is not necessary, then the halacha is that um, because it's unnecessary, their testimony is unnecessary. Basically, so if they say that that we were under duress, we don't believe them. Now, okay, fine. Um, let's go weiter. Um, yeah, okay, fine. Let's go back to the Gemara. The Gemara says like this. Um, Gufa. Um, Rav Hunam Rav. Rav Hunam Rav says, This is what Rav Hunam Rav says, that when the lender and borrower, not the lender, the borrower, agrees that it's a accurate document, the uh, it does not need to be authenticated. Now, yeah, Um, okay, fine. Right in the Gemara. The Gemara says, so Rav Huna Marav basically just said what Rav Meir holds, right? We said that Rav Meir holds, that once the borrower, the, the borrower agrees that it's a valid document, it doesn't need authentication. So Rav Huna Marav says the same thing. So I'm there, Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman says, why are you stealing? You have... We just got finished saying that this concept that once a document is authenticated by the borrower, that he agrees that it was that it was written and signed, it doesn't need authentication. That we said is the opinion of Rameyer. The Rabbana disagree. They say no, it always needs authentication. So you're telling me that it. You, so that's Rameyer's opinion. Then Rav Huna Marav, who a much later Amora says the exact same thing. So Rav Nachman said to him, Genuvi, Genuvi Lamalach, why do you need to steal? Meaning, you're making it seem like it's your shita. You're just basically saying, Rav Meir, if you hold like Rav Meir, then just say, the halacha follows Rav Meir. What are you saying, your opinion? You're basically saying Rav Meir. So just say, halacha follows Rav Meir. So the Gemara says, so Amor Leis Rav Hunam Rav said to Rav Nachman, Umar and how do you hold regarding this halachic shayla? So he says, he says, when people come to us in case with an uncertified document, we say, go certify it, then we'll talk. Meaning, we paskin that it always needs to be certified, even if the borrower agrees it needs to be certified in court. Not like what we said. Now, it's interesting. Um... One second, I just want to see that um, even though the borrower admitted that the note is authentic. Yeah, meaning I guess the, the, the Rabbanon disagree, because you said before, isn't it Pashat? I guess the Rabbanon disagree, they feel that no, that a Bezdin, that a Bezdin cannot rely on even the borrower. Once there is a document that's brought in front of them with Adem, it has to be certified. I'm not sure why the borrower would say, like, I'm not sure why, if the borrower says that he signed it, I mean, it just hurts him, but Bezdin cannot rely on, on either of them. They're both, they're both uh, no gay abadavra, they're both um, people that were involved in the action, and we don't rely on them to say that the document is real unless the Edim are proven to be accurate. So the Gemara continues like this. The Gemara says, 
Okay, Shtar Amana is a strange thing. The, the documents that we're talking about is, we'll go with Avram and Yitzchak. Avram, it says in the document, Avram lent $1,000 to Yitzchak on such and such date. Yitzchak owes him $1,000. That's a classic loan document, signed with witnesses. What if the witnesses come forward and say that this was a Shtar Amana? Shtar Amana means it's a document that was written based on hope, like a Muna. What does it mean? It means it says in the document that Avram lent Yitzchak $1,000, but he didn't actually. They wrote it in anticipation for the loan that would take place, but never actually, it didn't take place yet. So it says in the document that Avram lent $1,000 to Yitzchak. He didn't actually, that's what they say, that he didn't actually say, he didn't actually loan it, but it was written because they, they knew a loan was coming, so they just wrote up the documents in advance. Are they believed? The halacha is Einoi Nemon, he's not believed. Okay? So, that, that now that's what it says. Now, what, what it doesn't say is who's claiming this. Right? It just says, you have a document that says, Avram lent Yitzchak $1,000, and someone claims the loan never took place. It was just written in anticipation. He's not believed. Now, the question is, who is this person? Now, with all documents, there are three parties. There's the borrower, there's the lender, and there are the witnesses. So who is claiming this that we don't believe them? So let's go through each one. Who's claiming this? If the borrower is claiming this, I'll be honest with you, of course the borrower is going to claim that I never borrowed the money, right? It says, meaning Avram, it says Avram lent Yitzchak money. So Avram is the lender, Yitzchak is the borrower, and it's signed by two witnesses. And it says, someone claims that the loan never took place, we don't believe him. Well, who claims this? If it's Yitzchak, the borrower, and he's like, I never borrowed the money, it was just written in anticipation. You think we're going to believe that guy? Of course I'm not going to believe that guy. <laughs> of course he's going to say that he, of course he's going to say that he never borrowed it. We can, imagine if you could believe every borrower that says that he never borrowed the money and the, and the document that says that he did was was written in anticipation. Of course, man. The Gemara says, Of course. You think it's within his power to just say that it never took place, overriding a document? Of course not. So it can't be the borrower. So let's say it's a lender. Now let me ask you a question. If the lender, if that means the lender says that he never actually lent the money, we don't believe him? Why don't we believe him? He's being a tzaddik. He's saying, I have a document that says that, that I could collect money, but you should know I never actually lent the money. So the Gemara says, El de Kamar Edim. I'm sorry, El de Kamar Malva. Rather, who's the one who's saying that the loan never took place? It can't be the borrower, because of course we're not going to believe him. But it can't be the lender either, because if why not? If the lender says, if you lent me money, and it says in the document you lent me money, and then you're like, hey, I never actually did. This document was just written in anticipation. Why don't we believe you? You're being a big tzaddik. The Gemara says, of bracha. He, he, should, he should get a bracha that he's being a tzaddik. So why don't we believe him? El Dekamri Edim, it must be their witnesses. The witnesses are the ones. It can't be the borrower, it can't be the lender. It must be the witnesses are coming and they're saying that this document was written in anticipation. Now the question is, wait a minute. The only time we would believe them, right, is if Pesha Aser Pesha Hitter. Now, if we already are able to authenticate the document without them, so we already know that they signed it, so now they're just basically coming in and saying that they that it was that 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 it never took place. Of course, we don't believe them. There's no there's no And if let's say there is no way to authenticate the document, meaning they're coming in and saying that's our handwriting, but so it's pesha Then why don't we believe them? 
So what exactly? So who who exactly is claiming this document was basically falsified? So that's the question. So the Gemara is going to give uh, three answers. Let's go through the all three answers. Each answer is going to be explaining how borrower, lender, witnesses. Okay, let's go through the the first one. Amarava loylum de Really, it's the borrower. So the borrower is claiming that that he never took the money. Now you'll say. And then we're saying that he's not believed. Of course he's not believed. It's pretty posh he's not believed. The answer is really it's the borrower. And you're going to say, of course he's not believed. What's the Chiddush? The Chiddush is that not only is he not believed, but when he claims that I know this document is accurate, but I never borrowed the money, the halacha is, what he is doing, as I mentioned before, that if the borrower agrees the document is accurate, it no longer requires authentication. So that means that in this case also, when this borrower says that that document is accurate, but I never borrowed the money it was written in anticipation, not only is he not believed, not only is he not believed, but that's his way of saying that it's an accurate document and you don't need authentication. So you, you asked before, isn't it push it that if the borrower agrees that it's a good document, it doesn't need authentication? The answer is yes. But over here, the Chiddush of the Gemara is, if the borrower says the following statement, I never borrowed the money, that document was written in anticipation. So we said he's not believed. So we said, if it's the borrower, of course he's not believed. It's pretty push it. The answer is no. Not only is he not believed, that's his way of saying, though, I agree it's a good document. He's just claiming that he never borrowed the money, but he's saying it's a good document. Therefore, because he's saying it's a good document, no authentication process is necessary. So the chiddush of that price is that not only is he not believed, but that's his way of authenticating the, the document. So he, he heard himself doubly. So not only is he not believed to say that it was written in anticipation and the loan never took place, but not only that, but also there's no authentication process needed because that's his way of basically saying that it's a good document. He's just saying that he never borrowed the money, but he's acknowledging that there was a borrower, there was a lender, and there was two witnesses. That's the first answer. The second answer is, that no, it wasn't that the borrower says that the loan never took place, it was the lender. So he said, wait a minute, if the lender says, if you lent me money, and it says in the document you lent me money, and then you're like, yeah, I never actually did, then why don't we believe you? You're being a big tzaddik. The answer is, there are times where you saying that is affects others. I'll give you an example. Right? You lent me $1,000. It says in the document you lent me $1,000, which means you can collect $1,000. You then go to court and say, listen, I know it says that, but I never actually did it. So we say, we don't believe you. And the question is, why don't we believe you? You're being a big tzaddik. What does it mean you're being a big tzaddik? Because you're just being selfless. Right? You could still collect the money, but you're saying no. There are times where that could be not selfish, but there are times where that could hurt others. I'll give you an example. What if you owe $1,000 to someone else? And you have your own creditors. And those creditors would use that document to get their money back. right? If, if you loaned me money, but someone else loaned you money, then your creditors can come to that guy and take the money, right? Meaning you lent me $1,000, so you I owe you $1,000, but you owe someone else $1,000. The guy that you owes money can take that document that, that I owe you and take the money from me. So let's go very simple names. You have A, B, and C. A lends B money, right? So B owes A, but A owes money to C. 
C can go to B and collect. So the reason, says the Gemara, the reason why we don't believe the lender when he says that this document is false is because he's potentially hurting someone else. It's a scenario where he has his own creditors who want to use this document to collect the money, and by him saying, oh, no, it's not a good document, he's not just being this selfless guy, he's hurting his own creditors. And because his own creditors are being hurt, we don't believe him. It's like any other claim, which you got you to gotta bring witnesses and, whatever, and all that stuff. Meaning it's not just you being a tzaddik, you're affecting others. That's the Gemara. It's the case where it's detrimental to others. Like Rav Nassim said to Tanya, Rav Nassim said, how do I know that if that if A lends B money, but, but C lent A money, how do I know that C, which is the creditor of A, can go to B, who, lo- who owns A money? I probably made it more complicated with the letters. But the point is, you understand that. How do I know that, that the first person's creditors can go to the guy who owes that person money and collect? So therefore, in this case, where the lender says that this document never took place, that this loan never took place, he's hurting his creditors, and therefore he's not believed. So we've had one answer that the person who claims that 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 the loan never took place is the borrower. One answer is that it's the lender, and now the third answer is that it's the witnesses. Really, it's the witnesses who say that the that the loan never took place. It was it was a loan based on anticipation. And the cases where they were coming to testify that it was their handwriting. So we needed their their authentication. So then you're going to ask yourself, so then why aren't they believed? Why don't you say, they come and say that this document was signed by us, so that's their that's their necessary testimony, and then they throw in the fact that it was written in anticipation. So why don't we believe them? The answer is, because of Kahana. Because of Kahana. Rav Kahana says, the halacha is, the Pasuk says in Iyuv, that you shouldn't leave in Avla. In Avla means like a, an injustice, something really bad. Something bad should not be kept in your house. Based on that, Chazal understood, you're not allowed to keep such a document. A document that's written in anticipation is not allowed to be kept. It has to be destroyed. Why? Because if you have a document that says that I lent you $1,000 and I could collect $1,000 and it never actually took place, writing in anticipation, that document is an evil document because it basically is going to be able to be is going to be able to allow someone to collect money that's not theirs. The halacha is you now have to keep such a document in your house because it's like a giant, it's like a giant uh, mistake waiting to happen. Go to the next page. And therefore, because you're not allowed to keep such a document, this document is like an evil document. Therefore, if the witnesses come and say that this document, they signed it, but this document was written in anticipation, they're not believed. Why? We have a tradition that no one would sign. No one would sign an evil document. So by them saying that they're signing an evil document, it's in a way, it's like self-incriminating. And as we saw yesterday, according to many opinions, even Pesha Asa, Pesha Hitter, does not apply if you're making yourself a Russia. So by you saying that you signed a document that basically was not allowed to be written, you're making yourself a Russia. And they're not believed. Okay? 
Because that was, if you remember yesterday, the end of the daf yesterday, it was two different versions of Rami Barchoma. According to the second version of Rami Barchoma, Peshasa Peshahita, this concept of allowing the witnesses to say under duress, whatever, does not apply if it's self incriminating. It does not apply if it makes themselves a Russia. So by them claiming that this document was uh, written in anticipation, which is also to be written, the halacha is they're making themselves a Russia, so we don't accept them. Okay, fine. Let's go a little later. The Gemara continues. Okay, so we said that you're not only you're not allowed to keep in your house a, a document written in anticipation. In addition, the lender is not allowed to keep a paid-up document in his house. And what happens is, I'm the lender. I have a document that says that I loaned you $1,000. I'm allowed to use that to collect. When I collect the money... I'm supposed to give that document to the borrower because if I hold on to it, even if the borrower has a receipt, at some point, if he loses that receipt, I could keep using it again and again and again, taking to a different court, taking to a different court. So the halacha is that I have to give it to the borrower. If I don't, I'm not allowed to keep it in my home because it's a pitfall waiting to happen. So a lender is not allowed to keep up a paid document, meaning a loan document that was already paid up, you're not allowed to keep in your house. Okay, seems to be fair. And in Eretz Yisrael, they quote, Rav is saying, The Pasuk says, If there's something evil in your house, distance yourself. This is referring to a document written based on anticipation, which we said you're not allowed to keep in your house. And Shtarpasim. Shtarpasim means a document, um, yeah, this is a document that basically says, um, that says that I owe you a thousand dollars, even though the loan never took place, so it's like an anticipation, but the reason why you're writing it is because you want people to think that you have, uh, that you have value, meaning I, the lender, I go to you and I'm saying, listen, I want people to think I'm wealthy. So I'm going to write you a document that said I loaned you $10 million. Because now people will be like, whoa, he's loaning out $10 million? He must be super wealthy. Loan never took place. You're not allowed to write such a th- document, as you can imagine. It's it's lies and it's evil. And keeping that in your home is awesome. Okay? Then the pastor says, and you shouldn't keep any injustice in your house. That's talking about a paid-up document. So you're not allowed to keep up a document that never, a loan that never took place, and a, a document that says, uh, and a paid-up document either. So the Gemara explains, the one who says you're not allowed to keep a document that was paid up, you're not allowed to keep up a document that never, the, 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 the document based on anticipation. But the one who says you're not allowed to keep a document of anticipation in your house, you're allowed to keep a, a document that was paid up. Meaning, out of the three, you have two of them where the loan never took place, and then the third one is that it's a loan document that took place, but it was already paid up. The, the one that's the biggest chiddish is the one that was paid up. Why? Because the halacha is like this. When I, I'm the lender, when I have a document that, that was already paid up, I'm supposed to give it to the borrower. If I keep it in my house, it's not, it's not good because I could be using it in the future. The halacha is, 
that who pays for the sofer who writes up the documents? The one who pays for the sofer is the borrower. Now, there are times, though, that the borrower doesn't have the money, so the sofer will go to the lender. So I, the lender, not only do I loan out the money, I also will sometimes pay. I'll, I'll pay for the, uh, for the sofer to write up the documents and it to be notarized and all that, so I'll pay for that. And the borrower will pay that back to me. Now, if the borrower doesn't pay it back, one of the ways as a collateral to make sure you get your money back is the lender will hold on to the paid-up document and say, listen, you want this document, when you pay up the document, you're supposed to give that to the borrower and let him destroy it or hold on to it. Sometimes the lender, rightfully so, will say, I'll give you back the document when you pay for the sofa. So because the, bar, the lender sometimes is allowed to hold on to that document, it's not considered as evil. So therefore, if you hold, so that according to one opinion, that's allowed to be kept in the house because there are times where he's allowed halakhically to keep in the house. The one that's much more poshid is keeping up a document where the loan never took place. Okay, Itmar. The Gemara continues, Sefer she'ina muga. You have a Sefer of the Torah. You have a Sefer Torah that's puzzle. Uh, you're not. You're allowed to keep it in your house just long enough for the amount of time that's reasonable for you to fix it. But if you don't fix it, you shouldn't keep that in your house because you're eventually going to use it. And it's it's a puzzle safer Torah. It's not accurate. So Amr Ravami Adshloshim Yom Motel So you're allowed to keep it for thirty days. So after thirty days, then that's already uh, it's already clear that you're not going to fix it. You're not allowed to keep it. Okay. Let's go back to Amr Nachman. Edim Shomer Amanu Hayidvareim. If witnesses come and say that we signed the document, but it was written based on anticipation. Again, the loan never took place. A neman of the not believes, as we saw before. But But let's say they say we signed that document, but before we signed it, the owner said that he had no intent of, of, of selling it. Let's say you have a bill of sale. So you have a document that says that you sold me, I sold you my car. And witnesses come and say, hey, we signed this, but you should know, before we signed it, the owner came over to us and said, I have no intention of selling the car. I'm just writing the document. I have no intention. The halacha is, they are not believed. Okay? Now, now, I, I'm trying to figure this out. I, I think the reason, well, we'll get to this in a second. Fine. Okay, in both cases, they're not believed. Now, says the Gemara, Mar Baravashi Omar, he says, no, He says, if the witnesses come and say that that before they sign this document, the owner says he has no intention of selling it, they are believed. Why? The reason is, in the case of a person signing a document with no intention of selling it, There are times where there are times where um, where the owner would want to sign such a thing, and you're allowed to sign such a thing. Why? I, I'm trying to figure out the exact details. Rashi says if the buyer is making threatening statements, so sometimes you'll write 
a document that says that you have an intention to sell, even though you don't, just to get him off your back, and then you'll go to court and deal with him. So because there are scenarios, I don't know why that helps, but there are scenarios where you're allowed to write such a document, if the witnesses said they signed such a document, it's not making themselves Rishoyim, as opposed to saying that they signed a document based on anticipation of a loan, but the loan never took place, that's basically signing a false document, so they're testifying that they were Rishoyim, that's not believed. Okay? Again, I... Yeah, I, I don't know. Again, like I said, I don't understand why you would sign such a document. Why why the buyer, why the seller, okay. I guess he's doing this to avoid, he's getting harassed by buyers, and he wants to just make it seem like he's trying to play the game. I don't know. Okay. Again, basically the rule is that if witnesses come and say that that's our signature, Pesha Asar, but A, B, and C took place. So if they make themselves or show him, they're not believed. If they're not making themselves or show him, they are believed. So says the Gemara, What if witnesses come and say that we signed that document so that that was a, a good document, but they say that there were conditions that were, were also associated with the sale, not included in the document. So the document just says, A will sell B his car. And they say that we signed that, but... And they're not rescinding, and they're not saying that it was in anticipation, and it's not a false. But they're saying there were stipulations not written in the document. Maybe the stipulations were um, A has to travel a certain distance. Whatever the stipulations are, there are stipulations not included in the document. Are they believed? So, I mean, the question is, Do we say that they're not believed because... Basically, what they're doing is they're saying that this document is false because this document just says that that the sale is taking place without a stipulation. They're saying, no, there is a stipulation. So they're basically testifying that this document is a false document and it's like an anticipation document or all the other documents which are false. Or do we say, no, no, they're saying, no, it's a good document. There just happens to be stipulations. Take care of the stipulations, then it's a good document. So the question is, are they basically saying this is a false document or not. If they're saying it's a false document, then, then, then they're not going to be believed because they're basically saying they signed the false document. Or do we say, no, they're signing a good document, they just are stipulations that, that are not included. That's the question. Now, so the Gemara says, so, so Rav Nachman says to Rav, whenever this situation comes to us, we say, they say, fulfill the stipulations and go through the, with the sale. Meaning if what they're saying is accurate, that it's an actual acquisition, just their stipulations. So let's get the stipulations met and let's see if they go through with the sale. If they go through with the sale, then what they're saying is true. If after the stipulations they still refuse, then that means that there's a false document. Okay? Fine. Right there in the Gemara. Eid Oimer Tanai, almost done, we'll do a little bit further. Eid Oimer Tanai, the Eid Oimer Enoi Tanai. Let's say you have two witnesses that come forward. One witness says that, or we're assuming that if two witnesses come and they say that there were stipulations not found in the document, they're believed. That's what the Gemara just concluded, that we believe them because what they're saying is it's a valid document, they're just stipulations. The question is, what if there are two witnesses that come forward both authenticated, but one says there was a stipulation and one says there was no stipulation. Do we believe them that there are stipulations? So Amrav Papa, 
So Rav Papa says, Travai b'shar Masadi. Rav Papa says, he looks at it this way. When two witnesses come forward and both say that it's that it's authentic, but one says there's a stipulation, one says there was no stipulation, he looks at it as two different concepts. Both are authenticating this document. Then, one is adding a stipulation, saying that it was a stipulation as well, but both are authenticating. So you have two witnesses authenticating, and then one is saying there was a stipulation. It's two against one. That's how he looks at it. That instead of looking at it as like one saying the stipulation, one not, he's saying they're both, in essence, saying it's an authentic document. One then is adding there's a stipulation. That's two against one. We believe that it's an authentic document without a stipulation. That's how he looks at it. So he looks at it when two witnesses come forward and both say, listen, uh, one says there was a stipulation, one says there wasn't. He's looking at it as like two different set statements. One is they're both state, stating it's an accurate document. Number two, one of them is stating there was a stipulation. So now it's two against one. The Gemara says, Maskler of understand. If that's how you're going to look at it, then even when both come and say there's a stipulation, we shouldn't believe them. Why? We should say it like this. Both are coming and saying it's a valid document. Then both are coming, then independently, two people are saying that it's a stipulation. The halach is it should be two against two. And we shouldn't believe them. So why, what's the shot? So why why do we accept when both people say, both witnesses say there's stipulation? The answer is we look at it as one, sa- one statement. Rather, Rather, we say they are coming and in one statement saying it's accurate, but with a stipulation. We don't look at it as two different concepts. So to over here, So to over here, that it's the same thing. We don't look at it as two people are saying it's a valid document and then one is adding a stipulation. No. One is one is saying there was a stipulation, one isn't. It's two different concepts. So therefore, we shouldn't look at it the way you're looking at it. Okay? Um, we'll start the next Gemara, then we'll stop. Tanur Till now we're dealing with Pesha Asa Pesha Hitzer. Right? Witnesses come forward and say, that's our handwriting, but, coercion, but, you know, puzzle. And we believe them. Tanur Abanon. Shnaim Shechasum Al Shtarim So let's say I have two witnesses that signed the document and they both died. Ubo Shnaim and Ashok. And then two people come from the market and say, Yadanu Shechsav Yadamu. We know that these are the two people that signed it, we, we could recognize their handwriting. They're both dead, but we recognize their handwriting. But, but we know they were coerced. Or, meaning, so, it's, but it's not the witnesses themselves certifying and then saying they were coerced, because those witnesses died. It's other witnesses saying, hey, that's our friend's handwriting. That's, so they're, that's, they're authenticating the document, but they were coerced. They're believed because peshasa peshahitter applies even where it's de- dealing with different uh, the the different witnesses. So it's not so it's not the same witnesses themselves uh, authenticating and saying coercion. Rather, it's it's different witnesses saying, and it's still peshasa peshahitter. But if there are other witnesses who already testified that it's the person's handwriting of the people that passed away, then these witnesses are not believed. So we'll stop here. Tomorrow we'll review this case and we'll pick it up uh, further in the dock. I'll stop here. Thanks. Have a nice one. You too.